to me, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure some of it is intentional, but I don't think all of it is. I think there's a, what I call an electropoetic force that causes words to migrate across centuries, cultures, and countries uh, to come into the same vibration so that you have words that aren't, uh, that do not share a history. Uh, and yet there they are, they share a sound, P-R-A-Y and P-R-E-Y is an example of that. So some of it just happens because words are magnetic and we're passing them like coins. They have currency between ourselves and they get uh, the imp they imprint on us and we imprint on them. And so the point is not who did this and how did it happen, at least in my estimation, the question is, what do we do about it? Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Higher Journeys. I am your host, Alexis Brooks. And as I always say, if it is your first time here, I welcome you. Well, speaking of first time here, I told you 2023 was going to be the year of firsts. And uh, I don't think I'm disappointed because here... For the first time, I've got the most eloquent, lovely, insightful, heavy young lady, Laurel Erica, who today is going to be sharing a conversation with me and with all of us about the power of words, Laurel. It's deeper than the power. It is the energy, the frequency, how integral they are to our lives, the mistakes that we've made. Uh, the love that we share, the evil that pervades the world, the love that pervades the world. It's everything. It is the word. As in the Bible, I believe it is John 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 1. The word, now I'm going to, I had it written down here and I should know it, but the word essentially was first. The word is with God and the word is God, essentially. So with that, we're going to be talking about the word. We're going to be doing a lot of talking today, but let me first welcome Laurel. Thank you so much for coming. What an honor and a pleasure to have you on Higher Journeys. What a delight to be able to spend time in conversation with you. I feel the connection between our hearts, very beautiful and magnetic, and just picture the flowing fountain of beauty and love and wordplay emanating through us and to your audience in ways that touch their hearts so deeply and lift their spirits and inform their minds and incite them to their own acts of genius, which Absolutely. come from divine connection. That's what this is all about. We need all of the tools in our arsenal um, that we can muster up these days, journeyers. You all know that. And I have always felt a kinship with our language in particular, language in general. Uh, we can never be reminded enough how important the words that we speak, particularly also the thoughts that we think because they typically precede the words that we speak. Uh, but now more than ever, when we uh, are being bathed in a world, world of words that... Um, can be very divisive. We still have control of the words that come out of our mouths. So I thought it was time that we have this conversation. I want to start with a quote 
from a most incredible, short but powerful piece that Laurel wrote from her Word Magic Global, blazing a trail to a new word, word ardor. Understand where that's coming from? Play on words. Let me read this to you. Laurel, you say at the beginning, you, you say, language is software. The alphabet is code. And English is the leading software of the Western mind. It is filled with cultural biases akin to computer viruses that program our thinking with an antiquated and manipulated vision of reality promulgated by the church as an instrument of mind control at a time when people had to surrender their minds if they wanted to keep their heads about them quite literally. Talk about packing a wallop at the beginning. This is really incredible. I'm going to start with a question based on this powerful statement. And I'm going to read this to you verbatim because as I was typing this out, I found myself rhyming. I think I was catching your energy. This, So I typically don't read the question, but I'm going to do that because I, it's interesting the way it came out. Do you think that the institution we call the church, though so many years ago, instituted mind control as an instrument, the brainwashing was perhaps so powerful that it managed to seep its way into our very DNA so that in present day, we still act this way? <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> I caught the laurel, the laurel virus. <laughs> I can't well, help that. I love it. Have to think of a better word than virus. Yeah, uh, we don't want this, to. Yeah, yeah, that's not a good Yes, thing. it is contagious. It's contagious. And that's I contagious. think that preceding the ancient church was a lot of uh organized energy looking to control humanity and um, certainly through language as through all the other ways. Well, that's a, that's a deep way of starting that, but let, let's go a little bit deeper into that. My question to you based on that statement is could the, how can I put this? the power and fervor of that mind control have been passed through the generations through energetically and through our literally through our DNA, because what you're talking about that was instituted so long ago is still ubiquitous and prevalent today. Does that well, make sense? What well, I'm the archetypal battle of good versus evil, this kind of, situation here we are again and it looks like it's coming to quite a crescendo and so my focus has not been like well just just to um, orient people to my work I have a very popular video on YouTube called The Secret Spells of the English Language. I posted it in 2010. Mm -hmm. It shares what I call our premier life sentence, which is that we awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to share, uh, to earn our living while um, at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And then I translate that sentence, pointing out just a few examples for the sake of time, that awake is a funeral party for the dead. Mm. Mourning is the state we're in when we attend awake. We'd have to be like a zombie staggering through the weekdays to earn the living since earned her for the ashes of the dead. And it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who come upon my work want to know who did this to us. That 
To me, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure some of it is intentional, but I don't think all of it is. I think there's a, what I call an electropoetic force that causes words to migrate across centuries, cultures, and countries uh, to come into the same vibration so that you have words that aren't, uh, that do not share a history. Uh, and yet there they are, they share a sound, P-R-A-Y and P-R-E-Y is an example of that. So some of it just happens because words are magnetic and we're passing them like coins. They have currency between ourselves and they get uh, the imp they imprint on us and we imprint on them. And so the point is not who did this and how did it happen, at least in my estimation, the question is, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. And there's a wholesale effort to change language at the time to make, I mean, literally black seem white. Yeah, <laughs> um, and the boy is a girl. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, it's a- It's inversion, right? That we're talking what? about inversion. It we're is inversion. inversion. Yeah. It is inversion. And there are so many quotes that I could cite, but in this moment, not by heart, um, from uh, ancient and uh, 20th century people talked, well, in Socrates, incorrect language is not only a mistake, it implants evil in men's souls. So um, there, this impulse, this recognition that this is the time for us to come together collectively and creatively to evolve the language so it can inspire the best instead of the beast in us all. Mm -hmm. That same impulse has been uh, you know, driven with this, let's call men women, let's forget about the word mother, let's just say birthing parent, I mean, could it be more insane? Yeah. And yet people hang in, you know, hold on to it. So that impulse is mm -hmm. there. It's being co-opted, but right. we can take it in the direction it needs to go because Rumi says, speak a new language and the world will be a new world. Absolutely. And I agree wholeheartedly. I love Rumi. I want to bring, I think this is a good time to bring this up, Laura. When I heard you say, um, that language is using us. We are its human instruments. So I want to go deep real quick. Could language represent its own form of consciousness, uh, intelligence and consciousness? I, I, I'm reminded of the Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist monks who were alleged to create what is called the tulpa, kind of a throw off of one's own consciousness that brought life through, you know, from it, from the, the individual came another secondary form of, of, of life that eventually took on its own intelligence. Although it, I believe that the Buddhist monks did this uh, consciously, could we be unwittingly giving birth to an intelligence that is associated with language? Hence, there is a uh, almost a symbiotic relationship between the language and us. Are we yes. bringing it to life? I have not looked at that. I haven't thought about it, but I will for just one moment here. I think every word we speak begins to take flesh and manifest. I wrote a piece called Putting the Source Before Descartes, uh, which is about the power of words and by our own thoughts and words 
we we all sentence ourselves as we jump from think to thing, never thinking anything about the weird phantasms all of us are conjuring as we spend our time in um, dissension. So that's not one of the poems I have fully committed to memory, but it's in my book, Word Magic, Wordplay That Puts a New Spin on the World. And so, yes, I do believe uh, it is done unto us as we speak and that this whole energy can coalesce to be uh, independent of us. I think that's called an egregore where there's the collective consciousness and then what that energy manifests in the world. And I think especially when we are cursing, when ugly things are coming out of our mouth to condemn someone else, and yet it's, you know, it's in our mouth. And um, I think that that creates energies that will return, whether they form as little human-looking clones or avatars. Is this a, a matrix? Are we Are we the projection of players on another dimension and we're projecting our own players and it goes down and down and down and down the rabbit hole but this is the opportunity now to to ascend rather than descend Descend. exactly exactly that's very powerful thank you i want to talk about thoughts uh, not opposed to spoken words but preceding the spoken word uh even if they're not conscious thought it seems that um, words seem to act even more so than the thought in our head as uh, almost a carrier wave going out into the ether. I want to talk about vocal cords and the sound that is associated with the words that we speak. Um, and if and why they may be more powerful in terms of manifesting than mere thoughts. Oh, sound. Well, that would take someone who knows physics, uh, I believe, to explain or to opine upon. I can simply personalize it by saying um, words have always been alive to me with elemental energy. And so I'm very careful with them. I mean, it's an unconscious process. But People have wondered, you know, if I was from another country because I have an accent, they tell me. But it's basically that I enunciate. You do. I grew, I grew up with people um, who around me who spoke proper American English back then, which was British English. So I heard that beauty. But yes, I do believe it's alive. The words and the energies are alive. We can converse with them and they inform us. And I found uh, by chance the word kotodama. And uh, it's a Japanese word that means word spirit. And when I read it, and, and anyone who's interested can go to my um, communications consulting website, which is myname.com, laurelerica.com. And down the, the homepage is the word kotodama. And a quote from a Japanese author talking about you must take <clears throat> excuse me, great care with um, how you treat a word and the honor you pay it by the place you give it to live in a sentence. Oh, wow. I love it. That to me 
perhaps I won't say corroborates, but maybe gives some credence to this idea that at some level, there may be uh, what you might call individuated consciousness associated with words itself, the origin of which we don't know. The origin could be us. Um, but there, there's something to that. Are we breathing life into it? Is it is it ever existing and we're simply adopting it? I don't know. It's It's something that I don't know that it's that important, but just care in the words that we speak. I love the way you put when you speak a word, it is in your mouth. It is in your proximity, particularly when you speak it out loud. I resonate with the spoken word for obvious reasons. This is what I do for a living. I love the written word as well. Speaking of written word, let's talk about spell casting. I know that you spoke about that. I want to give a shout out, by the way, of how I found this beautiful woman on um Aubrey Marcus's great podcast. So shout out to Aubrey. We do not know each other yet, but uh, I'm a big fan of his show. And you you did a fantastic, almost two hours with him. And uh, you did spend some time talking about, uh, we've, we've heard this of this notion before of uh, literally spellcasting being comprised of, uh, at least as a start, spelling of a word. But it goes deeper than that. Can we talk about that for a little bit? We can, absolutely. So spell casting, I mean, we're all under the spell of the language and we're in a state of hypnosis and we put ourselves, in, we deepen the state when we get give our undivided attention to a movie or, you know, any sort of media entertainment or media games. So we are, we're under hypnosis. Words certainly can deepen the spell. And I sent you, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet, but it's called uh, Proposing Changes to Our Terms of Agreement. And uh, it, I find it a very funny uh, piece because it points out that how can we have a calm nervous system? It's a contradiction in terms also known as an oxymoron, and it would take an oxymoron to propose having a calm, <laughs> nervous system. And then it. how can we, when we're living in such a charged atmosphere, and I hear in that at most fear, and they keep intensifying the fear vibration so that we are so jangled in our nervous system that we cannot rationally contemplate the kind of tyranny <laughs> that's being created and how it's using language to corrupt consciousness and culture. Oh my and God. yeah. I don't know what to say after that one. At yeah, you can't fear. argue with it. You can't. <laughs> Laura, where did you get, let's talk about this for a little bit. There are, I would dare say, few individuals on this planet like you. You're maybe not the only one, but you are in short supply. Where did this inclination to, not even inclination, this connection, you have a resonant link with something that is bringing about something so important. This is important, guys, because when you start to look, I have always been fascinated with the etymology of words, always. Um, I, I thought I was a little bit, not off, <laughs> but just, just having that that impulse to want to look into. And I think our language, 
particularly is just quite intriguing. And like you have said, our language is derived from other languages. So there's more embedded in, in it besides English. But for you, when and where do you think this came from? Well, so I experience myself as being an, uh, an elemental of the English language. So I know I came here on assignment because I started at about three years old. And just as Alice in Wonderland is about Alice chasing after a white rabbit, my call to the journey was a bat. And it's a story I've explained elsewhere. I'm conscious of how limited our time is. But when I was three or four, I said to my parents, I bet I now know all the words in the English language. And anyway, it goes on from there. So I started listening to words and looking at them and finding that words with the same sound reflected, echoed and reflected upon each other. And in terms of etymologies, um, we think of them as scientific, and they're not particularly. Mm -hmm. Some more than others, but a lot is conjecture that then turned into history, or the belief that it was history. So I wrote what I call my theriography. Five chapters of it are on YouTube. They're not identified as that, but um, it's about this uh, Philomela Nightingale who goes through the looking glass into this dimension and has to deconstruct the language to find her way back home again. So this is a massive piece, only a little of which I've published thus far. In it, I wanted a wish-granting poem that would be bubbly like bippity-boppity-boo. But I, I need those syllables to be meaningful and mm -hmm. to play a role, not just having an interesting sound. So the first two stanzas came immediately, and they are, <clears throat> with cryptic cabalistic tricks, I fix elixirs that equips linguistic mixtures to transfix. As verbal herbalist, Fertile verbal herbalist and hypnotist of gibberish, I stir within my crucible all elements reducible to simple symbols that eclipse the prospects for apocalypse. So when that came through me, because I can hardly claim authorship, <laughs> um, I was a participant, certainly. Um, I thought, what are prospects for apocalypse doing in my wish-granting poem? Mm. And years later, I read in a book, I believe it's called Healing Mantras by Ashley Ferrand, that in the court of Queen Elizabeth I, the wisest, most learned man was John Dee. And there was a belief at the time that music uh, paired with structured metered verse could ha calm hostilities. And he was working with a cabal of French and English poets to do, create just that kind of verse as like a secret weapon for world peace. And when I read that, I thought I was there. That's why I thought I knew all the words in the language when I was three or four. And that's what apocalypse was doing in my poem. So 
I'm, I feel I'm here on assignment <laughs> at con completing something I was part of before. When you said apocalypse, you know, there's this connotation in pop culture, I suppose, in history that that is a bad thing. But as we know, uh, at least one of the meanings is revelation. Yes. And removing so when, of the veils. Absolutely. Of which I believe it's time for. And so within that context, it would make far more sense to me why it was there. Right? Yes. And so here's a word relevant to what I just shared um, that I came upon by chance. It's uh, anamnesis. And it means the soul's recollection of what it knew from a prior lifetime. And that's the first definition. <coughs> Usually has it with supposed prior lifetime. Hmm. And make note that <laughs> definitions, we are often deafened to and by our definitions. But they change. Whoever's writing the dictionary at the time, um, it'll be different from dictionary to dictionary. Absolutely. And we know that now more than ever. Yes. <laughs> so the first, this first, uh, I hate to say meaning or definition, because they're both disabling, um, the first uh, description of anamnesis is the recollection of what one knew from a prior lifetime. And it has supposed in parentheses, mm -hmm. which is such a joke. The second definition is a patient's recounting of their medical history. Any connection there? Yes, that's what I call yeah. it. Words are either lost to obscurity or downgraded to the level of absolute absurdity. absurdity. I heard, I've seen you, oh my gosh, this woman's writing. But tell us your website right now because I want people to go, of course, we're gonna have a link, but there is just so much rich material there. Oh, Thought provoking. What's the website the, the, where your main writings are? Because I know you have it's, a couple. It's wordmagicglobal.com. Word okay. So W-O-R-D. M-A-G-I-C-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. So lots of really fun things. And you'll receive my free book of E, a book of alphabet alchemy, if you choose to subscribe. Oh, boy. Well, we could talk about the letter E, something that I just learned from you. I'd learned so much just from going the last couple of days from Laurel's great work. Can you guess, Journeyers, the most commonly used letter in our alphabet? I but pause for a moment. Write down whatever you come up with. I give you three seconds. Laurel, what is it? E. It's E. Eve. Eden. Evil. Hmm. Um, email today. Um, lots of fun words, but you'll there's lots in that book. So, and uh, at some time in our conversation, I hope I have the opportunity to share uh, the piece I wrote on the letter S. I think we should do that now because I want to, let's talk about some individual letters. I want to get into the energy of letters, not just the words, but the words cannot be made unless there are individual letters. And 
I have a sense that each letter has its own significance, just like E. So you talk about S. We may come back to E, but then we can take it a little bit deeper after that. Tell us about S. Okay. All right. Let me find just a little preview on it. Quoting from a book by Gary Jennings called, what was it? The Personalities of Language. He said, it is a minor wonder that the letter S is still with us. It and its sibilant siblings in other alphabets have been abhorred by people who perceived in them the shape or sound of the dread serpent or the monologue of the even more dreaded Satan. The Yazidi Arabs won't pronounce the letter. The Hebrew scribes took care not to use it in the opening pages of the scriptures. The Greek poet Pindar omitted it from his odes. The medieval Romans' use of the S as their number, their numeral for seven, may have been intended to take the curse off of it by linking it with that traditionally lucky number. So um, I know many in your audience will know that there is a sedilla a little mark, like a comma, under the letter C in French to yes. indicate it's pronounced as S. Anyway, this is called, <clears throat> I'm going to take a sip of water. This is fascinating, everyone. And uh, before we went on the air, uh, Laurel reminded me <laughs> that both my first and last name ends with an S. So what might be the significance of that, if at all? You know, they say that there's something to a name. Now, of course, Brooks is my married name, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Something to a name. That's a whole other subject we could go on. So much fun. Too. I think there's a part two in the future for Laurel and I, for well, sure. That will be <laughs> delicious. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But sig- significance. Yeah. Talk about that for a little okay. bit. Okay. Um, the significance of the letter S. This is called Esoterica by Laurel Erica the definitive exegesis on the letter S in verse. And just parenthetically, an exegesis is an in-depth analysis, usually of a biblical um, passage. And this is an in-depth analysis of a single letter of the alphabet. All done in fun. So much turns on the letter S the serpent power we disavow that has the force to curse or bless, both to divest and to endow. S can turn a he to she, decide to be or not to be, for if the S did not exist, then all would exit and be missed. S can make a sort of words, which is why we quake near William Shakespeare. And something even more absurd, S makes the comic truly cosmic, and even worse, makes cures a curse. The ancients thought the S was cursed, since with one swipe, reveres reversed. The mere inane go Quite insane, while potentates resign their reign, yet still 
they could not wipe S off the page, for S turns out to hold the promise that with age one may turn sage. Our, <coughs> excuse me, our laughter turns to slaughter when we think there's something to defend. So clearly with more self-belief, we'd abrogate most forms of grief. We fear the S, that slippery snake whose cunning caused us to forsake the word of God and thus to take the chance that we might fall awake. In essence, S has sourced our being because God is, I am, you are. And S facilitates our seeing the smallest speck, the furthest star. The sea, being mother of creation, the seeds are sense of separation. So S is at the start of sin. Some think it beckons Satan in, since through the S we all possess. And by that standard, gauge success. But those shadows do emerge from S, so does the sun and happiness, which seems to mean the serpentine insignia so sibylline that sour and sweet, both sugar and salt, are tossed upon its somersault till differences can't be distinguished. Yet, nor can they become extinguished. S, being special and essential, is both profane and reverential. Its range of change is so prodigious, from sacrosanct to sacrilegious, it brings us saints and saboteurs, our saviors and slaughterers, Espionage, esprit d'accord, es makes our spirits soar and soar. So serpents cannot cause damnation, since es assures us sweet salvation. For as a snake can shed its skin, so es can be both yang and yin both Satan and spirit, from hell to divinity, since S twists exactly halfway to infinity. Since S so clearly turns both ways, it means the choice is fully ours. We must decide for suicide or reach within to touch the stars. The letter S as sorceress, once we've decided no or yes, makes our decisions manifest. Though heretofore we've been hellbent, the world is ours for just a cent. 
for S is cosmic catalyst of instant metamorphosis and with a sudden turn or twist can bring a thing's antithesis. S multiplies the loaves and fishes, harmonizes with its switches, and makes our lives far more delicious with sex and soul, our two great wishes. So let's reSS our estimation of this symbol for our transformation and let our prayers grow deep and fervent to turn the serpent into servant. Sit very still, breathe deep, unwind, those serpents can't be left behind. As we awake, they climb our spine till we at last reach human kindness. That was amazing, beyond Thank amazing. That's a one woman play. Thank you. If that people, is amazing. Um, if those who would like to see it animated and recited by a real voice artist, Arkan Selik in Turkey, can go to my Patreon page, word, oh, it's patreon.com, word mm -hmm. magic global. And I believe the requested contribution is $11. Okay. And then you will get a private URL to Esoterica. You'll also be able to see the animation I had done on my poem about the two forms of the letter I in the alphabet. Amazing. You saw me go like this when you said yan, yang and yin. Here's the thought that came to my mind as I, because I'm also a very visual person and I look at the shape of letters as having also a hint to what energy they carry. And when I look at the S, when you turn it on its side and invert it, it's almost as if you're seeing the yin and yang symbol. And I thought to myself, as you were reciting this amazing piece, you could argue there's a paradox to the S, but it is also illustrative of a of the uh, the yin and yang of life the polarity of life the duality of life yes yes and so is it any wonder that in the english language the s is a and i'm seeing it horizontally rather than upright yes like eight is infinity uh and a very very powerful uh, uh symbol in the tarot Anyway, that was the visual that came to mind before you said yin and yang or yang and, yang and yin. That's exactly what I was getting here. So that's. Thank you for incredible. sharing that. And um, uh, if you watch the animation of Esoterica on my Patreon uh, page, you'll be given the link and you'll see all those wonderful visuals oh, that make it all the more fun to yeah. um, Oh, I'm sure it's it. beautiful. That's fantastic. Thank you. You do a great deal of rhyming in your work. And uh, I think you got a little taste of my Instant. spontaneous rhyme when I, <laughs> it just kind of came out. I have my audience who I call the journeyers 
know that I have uh, an affinity for rhyming. It's just a very natural thing. And I have uh, sort of an instinct or intuition that there is power implicit in rhyming. Uh, I've always felt that way. I don't, I I, I can't say that I'm, I'm certainly not I haven't done any scholarly work on the uh, the metaphysics of rhymes, but it 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 feels to me as if there is something that is being ignited when one rhymes, particularly with repetition. Uh, if you would comment on that in our remaining time, let's talk about the the energy of rhyming, and particularly when using words of power. By the way, which we're going to be talking about in the after show, but nonetheless. Talk about that for a bit. Rhyming. Well, and um, first of all, the Vedas in Sanskrit are written in l- rhyme for their mm-hmm. ease of memorization. Mm-hmm. For me, as a child, it's like playing with magnets. And when I look for a, when I, I always insist in my work, I don't settle for an easy word in a rhyme. I it has to have meaning, Absolutely. and so. When I, in my theriography, I wrote, <clears throat> I, I ended on the word consciousness, and I thought, how am I going to rhyme this? Because it said, I thought as fairy poetess, I'd sail the sea of consciousness. And, and I didn't know how it was going to go, but it says, in search of further evidence, confirming my hypothesis concerning words whose sounds express their very own antithesis, <coughs> or else have meanings that appear unallied to an untrained ear. Um, so yes, they're very fun to play with. What the electropoetic magnetic force is, um, I'd be fascinated to learn. Mm. Um, I have a little piece that starts out um, in terms of being a, a rhymer from the beginning. I mean, rhyme and reason, it has to connect and repetition deepens the spell. Yes. So this little poem uh, starts out, um, my tongue is naturally curly, so my words come out in rhyme. This started very early and still happens all the time. I've done my best to compensate, to speak in tidy rows of prose, but for my words to come out straight, my tongue would have to decompose. So I won't go further with that because I want to stick with your subject. And um, so I can just say that rhyme and pun is a wonderful way to gain mastery over language. Mm-hmm. You'll have to ask someone else about the physics of rhyme and, and what is it that, that well, um, I would, truth I really, can rhyme. <laughs> right. But I want, I have a feeling you know more than you think you know about it. What is your, your instinct about why rhyming? is so powerful and perhaps a precursor to manifestation. When I do affirmations, I rhyme. Me too. Me too. I think, I mean, sound is magnetic. Mm. (laughs) And um, when we find words that fit beautifully together and resonate so powerfully, it's like we're letting, we're, we're, uh, we're emitting sound waves yes. that go out and influence the environment around us. And so 
I have a piece called Speaking Beauty. So speak with beauty and play with rhyme and see what kind of words magnetically gather to complement and assist your efforts because they are alive in an elemental way and they are magnetic to us. They're dancing around us all the time. They're affecting us. They're programming us. Play with it and you will gain such a friendship with it. It will inform you. I did not know I was intelligent growing up. I didn't get that reflection. But I gained, and, and so I wasn't the best student, but my greatest source of learning has come from my ABCs. Just playing with them and then reading um, reading books that sing my soul when it mm. comes to words. Yeah. I love it. I, oh, we don't have that much time left. We're going to have to wind down soon, but I have to talk about marrying the spoken word with water. Now I did talk about that in my show. I know Laurel listened to a show that's in the archives, let's just say about five years ago that I did with a, a artist, a musician, I should say, Stephen uh, Halpern. And we talked about the work of uh, Emoto, of course. And uh, and I know you've written uh, some articles on water um, and featured a, a researcher, I believe, an Asian researcher there as well. But let's just talk about marrying the spoken word with water. Uh, and, and have you worked with that? And just your thoughts on the magic that uh, that goes, uh, that, that connects the two. Well, it's so interesting in terms of mirrors. And um, I feel like English, it's like speaking English is like walking through a, a hall of mirrors and an echo chamber. So it can be very disorienting and programming. So um, I also looked at Dr. Emoto's research mm -hmm. about the power of just even a printed word taped to a bottle of pre-tested distilled water to uh, result in its frozen form crystallizing into a beautiful pattern, mm -hmm. whereas mean words not. Did I perform that experiment uh, only on myself? And um, by speaking positively to me, because as, as you cited in that interview with um, the marvelous Stephen Halpern, uh, um, the just the sound of a word itself mm. can elicit vibrations. And we're primarily, uh, what I'm quoting now, is that we're made of water and I think you said 70%, and I've heard different Maybe more, uh, right. numbers for earth and for humans. Um, I mean, different estimations. But because we're made of the same substance, we, we come from water. We are gestated in water, and we're born onto dry land, but we have now all this water within us. And so when we speak beauty, when we speak only what we know to be true in our hearts mm -hmm. from our own experience. Um, it tunes us up. We are an instrument. And if you want sweet feelings, um, speak sweetness, kindness, truth, beauty. <sighs> and oh, you will, <laughs> it will definitely tune up your instrument. And one of my little word magic aphorisms was compose yourself, the music will follow. 
Cheerneers in a world that is so um, laden these days with things that are not of the highest vibration, we can counter that by our mere words, thoughts, of course, but words speak them every chance you get. I want to end on this note because it has to do with the earth and it has to do with us, the heart, earth and heart. You made such a poignant point of bringing that out. Fundamentally, the same thing, earth and heart. I call it a syllogism because I, I've done a little bit of reading on you. So I've done some thinking about some of these very powerful things. So forgive me if I'm stepping over, but I just want to, I want to just commend you for bringing out some of the most fundamental but powerful things and understanding the spelling of earth and heart, you just have to change one letter. But you make the point that there is a connection between those two, earth and heart. And you mentioned that a child out of the mouths of babes would know if you were to ask them, what's that connection? Here's what I think it is. We are, well, let's put it this way. We have a heart and therefore the earth literally is within us. As William Blake said, the universe is literally within a grain of sand. We have the earth within us, not just metaphorically, but literally. And yes. this is a time where we can uh, wield that positive power and knowing that, not thinking it, hoping it, believing it, but knowing it. They're literally the same word. We have a heart. Therefore, we have the world within and we can do so much with that. Yes. Beautiful. You are a gem to this planet, my dear. And you better be here for another 50, 75, 100 years. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we need you. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to share the song that's singing through me these days. Mm -hmm. And aren't I grateful that I didn't go out earlier on the many times I thought I might. Mm. Well, you're necessary. Thank and, you. Uh, and again, I want to thank Aubrey for having uh, this wonderful lady on, uh, how I became acclimated to her great work and found out that we do have some uh, mutual colleagues and friends in common. I think I can name Whitley Streber. Whitley, if you're listening, knows I love him dearly. And I know that you're good friends. And I hope to see you maybe very soon when I'm out in the West Coast. So. Just let me know. I'll be there. Oh, that'd be great. Well, listen, we're not done yet. You know where we're going, guys. We're going next door. We're going to the Patreon after show. And we are going to continue this conversation. I want Laurel to talk a little bit about, I said words of power, uh, Laurel, but I'm going to call it words of positive power, things that we can use and start to incorporate into our own uh, vernacular on a, on a regular basis to start taking control, conscious control of our reality through the power of words, the magic of words, I should say. So don't hang up, Laurel. We're going to continue. Journeyers, as always, I appreciate you. I thank you so much. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we're doing quite well on YouTube these days. <laughs> the show has grown exponentially, and I have to thank you for that. So uh, let's keep it going and growing. Uh, you can start by coming on over to Patreon. That helps us out a lot. So Let's go over there and continue this great conversation with Laurel. Laurel, one more time, your website, so people can go and read more of your great work. Wordmagicglobal.com and patreon.com wordmagicglobal is where the animation is on S. Mm -hmm. 
Great. and I. We will have both linked below, of course. So go over and visit and support her great work as well. All right, Journeyers, as always, we thank you for joining us on this still very new 2023. We appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Love you. Bye-bye.